And welcome to today's episode of the Pipeline ACC Podcast. I am Dan Siegel from ACC Content. I am joined, as always, by Jason Gibbs. Jason, Georgia is our national football champions. Rest in peace to the 1980 memes. I guess it's just Notre Dame now. Yeah, I mean, congrats to Georgia fans. Uh, You know, it's been a long time coming. I'm sure there's quite a few of them that had never seen a championship and now they, they did and they did it. I think probably, you know, the sweetest thing is they did it at the hands of Alabama and, and that's going to be, and think about Kirby smart too. I think, I think it'd be the coolest thing to be a player and, and come back as a coach to your alma mater and win a national title and really hats off to the dogs. They definitely deserved it. They got it done with their with their defense. Obviously, that's kind of been the story all year. I'm pretty sure there was a stat like they had as many touchdowns given up as games played. But I, I do think that that Stetson Bennett underdog story, he might be getting some hate for whatever reason. But I think that story is genuinely cool. Is that just me or do you agree with me? No. So it's a couple things. So on, on our pod, we both picked Alabama and there was a, a tiny, the tiniest bit of ledger domain for me because in our bowl pick'em contest, I was one game behind the leader. And if we picked the same thing, then I couldn't catch him, right? So what I was going to do was I was going to, in hopes he was listening to the pod, I was going to say I was going to pick Alabama and then I was going to pick Georgia, which is what I did. And he did pick Alabama. I don't know if it was because of the pod or he just thought they were going to win. And I did catch him and, and won the tie break, but that's neither here nor there. So for me, I don't know why. I say so Vegas had uh, Georgia favored two and a half, which was already kind of a an eyebrow raising line, especially considering Alabama handled them so well in the SEC championship game. Then I saw a uh, a stat or, or a, a betting line that to win by I think 14 or more or 15 or more I can't remember but at least two touchdowns Georgia was only plus 300 now if you know anything about betting if you can find these type of lines that was very telling to me you're talking about a team favored by only three points and to win by two touchdowns against a team that's you know a dynasty and always in big games and you only get three to one odds that was Vegas tipping their hand. So I, I felt irrationally confident about Stetson Bennett. I thought this guy, he's got such a chip on his shoulder. He's not going to let them lose. And then for what, two and a half quarters, three quarters, I was like, this guy needs to be benched. <laughs> but he made it, you know, he made the plays when it counted. It, you know, I saw all over Twitter. The moment was too big for him, you know, put in JT Daniels, which I will say this, it was for the way he was playing and for JT Daniels to not even get in the game was kind of, and he really hadn't gotten in the game much all year. It was really an indictment against him, you know, unfortunately for him, but really, I, I mean, I think so. one thing that was probably rubbing people the wrong way was you just won a national title and, and it felt like Stetson Bennett still had the chip on his shoulder, but it was so, so big. It almost, 
he almost came off as cocky or, or just like, yeah, I'm the best. He actually said, I'm the best quarterback out there. And that's pretty debatable, Stetson. I appreciate your gamesmanship. I appreciate your gutsiness. But, and, and listen, I want guys to believe themselves, of course. And it, it was a great story. Walk on, goes to Georgia, leaves, comes back, goes to Georgia, and leads into a national title, ends their drought. But I think it was just some of the kind of post-game talk which kind of rubbed people the wrong way. He seemed like he was still almost angry about it all. Yeah, I I heard that too when he said, I'm the best quarterback, or I believe I'm the best quarterback. I'm like, I kind of laughed at that. But I think overall it's a pretty good story. And then as far as Alabama goes, with injuries, obviously, without the injuries, it might not have been the – same story, the same final score. Bama was missing their top two wideouts in John Mechie, and then Jamison Williams got injured and out for the game during that game. Both of those receivers had 1,000-yard seasons, so obviously significant losses. But I still like Nick Saban's post-game response. I think there's so many people out there who are very good on the field, very successful and they just have terrible off-the-field issues. And Nick Saban gets a lot of hate, but honestly, the only reason I would hate him is because he wins all the time. And I don't think he's an over-the-top nice guy, but he also has just – he doesn't do anything wrong, and I feel like that kind of gets pushed under the rug because a lot of people with the level of success as Nick Saban, especially in the coaching industry, have a lot of side stuff that's – maybe not so good. Even like Bill Belichick, he's just very successful, hasn't done anything like illegal or anything, but he's just like not a very nice guy at all. So what Nick Saban said post-game, I thought very classy response, and I was happy to see it. Yeah, so I would say as far as Belichick, he's definitely not nice to the press, but I think it just kind of, it's his way. You know, I'm not, making excuses for it but it was nice uh some of the words that Saban had and you know I saw him I I think as as much as you can be in this situation I think he was genuinely happy for Kirby Smart he seemed like it during their handshake and this the final score obviously didn't tell the whole story I mean Bama had a lead late in the game but I, I I kind of agree with you you know I don't know if if Saban, like he still has fire, don't get me wrong, but I don't know if he's kind of mellowed a little bit as he's, you know, maybe stacked up more and more championships and gotten a little bit older, but it, it was nice. And I, I, I do agree with you. I think a healthy Bama probably beats them. They definitely don't lose by 15 or, or whatever they ended up losing by. Well, either way, the Alabama dynasty is very far from over. Alabama will still be back and favored to win the national championship next season. Nothing is lost, and I think we could all agree that they will be number one in pretty much every single way too early top 25 that we've seen. So I think Jason and I, we submitted each a top 25 ballot for next season, way too early 2022 football season. and. We averaged the two together to put together our pipeline top 25 way too early. And we'll 
reveal it um, periodically on this podcast. In today's episode, we'll go probably five at a time. And before we get to that, first off, shout out to Matt Brown from Extra Points. He had the greatest tweet to encapsulate these way too early top 25s. He said, this is basically every single way too early top 25 poll. Number one, Alabama, two through 20, the same teams that were good last year, slightly rearranged. 21 and 22, bad blue bloods who just made a coaching change and now will turn it around like Miami. 23, a six and six team that looked good in their bowl, like South Carolina. 24, a group of five, so we can show that we're fine, but we're really not. And number 25, Texas. I didn't see that. That's a great tweet, man. That's an elite tweet. Yes. And so I guess Jason and I, we clearly tried to make ours a little bit more complex. Obviously, some of us just naturally fall into those patterns, but we tried to make it a little bit not like that just because we want to be better than those people. So let's start. Uh, 25 through 21. So we got 25 UCLA. I think Dylan Gabriel could do some great things there. 24 SMU. 23. So there's your group of five. Uh, 23 Mississippi State. 22 Coastal Carolina. Grayson McCall, by the way, returned. He announced his return returning to the school of coastal Carolina with the greatest quote. He said, when I say I piss teal, I mean it. (laughs) That's some good stuff. And then then 21, obviously we'll we'll put Cincinnati in there at 21. So that's 25 to 21. Yeah. There's a slight faux pas because Dylan Gabriel decommitted from UCLA and committed to Oklahoma. Oh, my fault. My fault. I forgot about that. Oh my god! Yeah, all the all this is like it's like transfer portal. All this jumbling around. I completely forgot about that. But you're right. Yeah, but either way, it's it's it's, it's like constant chaos managing. Yeah. Either way, UCLA will we'll put them at the end at 25. But what are your thoughts on uh, 25 through 21? Yeah, I mean, listen, I was you know I, I was glad about um, you know Grayson McCall coming back. I don't necessarily know that he would have been. I mean, it is a weaker quarterback class, so maybe he would have gotten a look a little bit earlier than he would next year. But I appreciate him sticking with the team, and I appreciate, you know, what Coastal's done over the past couple years. You know, maybe they could make some sort of magical run like Cincinnati maybe this year. You know, maybe Cincinnati busted the door down, and, you know, a run like that is in the cards for uh, Coastal – Carolina, you know, we'll have to see, but yeah, obviously these are teams that you're, you're kind of taking flyers on, but teams that are at least not expect, they're going to have to overcome a lot to kind of get to the the playoffs, but it has happened. And and I think this year there was something like, uh, I think it set the NF or NCAA record for most teams not ranked at the beginning of the year, they ended up ranked in the final poll. I think it was like 14. So, I mean, think about this. So when we talk about these way early top 25s, think about, you know, half of these teams won't be on the poll at the end of the year and like another 12 or 13, 10 to 15 probably will be. So 
always going to be, you know, moving targets, always going to be uh, a lot of intricate moving parts, but pretty good stab, you know, for our first 25, the 21 through 25. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that the preseason top 25 AP poll voters have just gotten worse over time, or do you think college football has just gotten more chaotic and unpredictable? Interesting. Um, I think it's probably a little bit more B. Maybe A. I mean, maybe. I guess I'd have to just think about the the makeup of, of the actual voters. But I do think there's, there's, you know, a lot more chaos. And I, I think that teams, especially with this transfer portal, it's just hard to know, okay, you got, you know, South Carolina gets a guy like Spencer Rattler. Well, what if he just doesn't work there? Or what if he doesn't gel with his teammates? Or what if he really gels and it's just this unbelievable connection and they sky, you know, those things are going to be become harder and harder to predict. So, I mean, saying the voters are worse, I don't think it's is quite the way it would frame it. I just think it's just much more difficult to predict. And, you know, college football is just becoming more and more chaos-infused, to be honest. Fair enough. And then, um, all right, so 20 through 15, or 20 through 16, I should say. 20, we had USC. 19, Michigan State. 18, we clocked in our first ACC team. We got Pitt. Just because Kenny Pickett isn't back does not mean that they are falling off because Slovis, Keaton Slovis, is a very capable quarterback. Jordan Addison returns. We just got their new offensive coordinator today from Boston College, who I really like. I think the way that he benefited Jerkovic, he could benefit Slovis in very similar ways. And there's instability on offense, but there's also – a lot of stability on defense. So there's 18. There's our Pitt Panthers. 17 is Tennessee. If you followed me for a while, if you've listened to this podcast the last year, you know how big of a Hendon Hooker guy I am. And 16, our new, by default, American Athletic Conference favorites, the Houston Cougars. Yeah, an interesting bunch, you know, um, we do have our first ACC team in Pitt. When I first submitted, you, you'll know this because you you were doing the calculations. I actually had Pitt a little further down, but because like we've already done, I forgot they signed Slovis. It's just keeping track of everything. Then I remember, but they did lose Mark Whipple as offensive coordinator. Might be some bit of, and they lost uh, Brennan Marion, you know, wide receivers coach. So there might be a little bit of, continuity issues on offense you you know a new OC new wide receivers coach new quarterback you do have Jordan Addison at the wideout position who's obviously a stud going to be a, a big time player on Sundays in the future but I think I think you still have you know the Deuce Cruz Narduzzi um and I think he'll you know he they broke through this year they they won you know, the ACC, and that's going to go a long ways. That's going to go a long ways to recruits. That's going to go a long ways to the guys already in the locker room and say, hey, what the coach is telling us is true. You know, what the, we can believe in, and we've seen the results. We've seen the promised land. So I think it's, it's a, a solid spot. 
for uh, Pittsburgh. So number 15, we have another ACC team. We have the Clemson Tigers. Some polls had them higher. I think most of them, the lowest they would go is like 15 to 17 range. And I'm, I'm not doubting their ceiling, but I still need to see that quarterback play first, whether it's the true freshman Cade Klubnick, he has no experience, or whether it's DJ Uyungle Despite his Heisman odds that you mentioned last episode or the episode before, there's definitely a lot of question marks with him. But still, Clemson's defense, Dabo Sweeney, we're putting him at 15. They were around there last year. 14, Kentucky. Boy, have they done great things with their programs, with their program. 13, Iowa. This is kind of a move like I'm just done underestimating them every single season. That's why I put them around this range. Number 12, BYU. That offense is going to be incredible again. They get most people back, including their quarterback and Gunnar Romney at wide receiver. And number 11, the Wake Forest, Demon Deacons. Sam Hartman back, one of the most explosive quarterbacks in the country. And I think their defense might actually improve because the losses on the defensive staff aren't necessarily a bad thing. And we'll get to more of that when we do our coordinator talk throughout the offseason. Yeah, so a couple thoughts. You know, BYU's gone 21 and four over the past two seasons. And, you know, we. It, we kind of saw it with Wake Forest this year. When you add those for a team that's not a blue blood team, I'm talking about Alabama's and the Ohio State's of the world. But when you add those super seniors, those really experienced guys in a system that that can put up a lot of points, some great things can happen. So I, I really like the way you know we have uh, BYU slotted in. As far as Clemson goes. Think about this, and I don't know if we've mentioned this before on the award-winning podcast, but DJ Uemblele threw more interceptions than touchdowns. That is very concerning to me. You know, I I just really think he's going to be pushed by Cade Klubnick, and I really wouldn't bet a lot of money that he uh, is the start of their whole year. I could see a situation, a Kelly Bryant type situation where he starts the year and then Trevor Lawrence takes over. And in this case, DJU starts the year and Cade Klubnick takes over. And if it happens, then I'm sure, you know, DJ will hit the transfer portal like every other human on earth. And, you know, maybe, maybe he needs a fresh start. I don't know. But, but as far as Clemson being a little bit further down in our poll in the pipeline official poll, I'm just worried there's a lot of turnover. They obviously lost Brett Venables, Tony Elliott. And, you know, they are going to get, you know, key parts of their defense back. And, but they just couldn't score enough. Defense wasn't a problem this year, right? It was just really just a dreadful offense. You know, Will Shipley, Kobe Pace, you know, they're good backs. Can they kind of come back and, and sell that offense down. We'll have to see. I think it'll start up front with the offensive line. And then, you know, your Wake Forest Demon Deacons with a Deke-tastic year. They're looking to follow up one Deke-tastic year with another one. And they're basically running it back. Now, they did lose Christian Bill Smith, you know, to the transfer portal. But I don't think, you know, he did lead the team in rushing. I, I saw a lot of Wake fans wanted to dismiss that. 
he did lead the team in rushing, so he wasn't nothing. But I do think, you know, that with that kind of RPO mesh type offense, they're looking to put up some big numbers again, and they're going to be very experienced, just like we talked about with BYU. So interesting uh, season. Can they build on the success? It's one thing to kind of shock everybody and, and, and take people by surprise. No one's going to be surprised next year. No one's going to be shocked. So they're going to kind of come in with that target on their back. And sometimes teams that have never dealt with that kind of fold under the pressure. We'll see if that happens to the Deeks next year. By the way, Ja'Cory Roberson, I don't know if you mentioned that, but he's also going to the NFL. That's a pretty significant loss, but they will also be getting um, some players, Donovan Green, especially back wide receiver who was injured the entire year. So that's kind of might partially compensate for the Roberson loss. Either way, yeah, but I mean, you could make you could you could make a case this year that At Perry was their best receiver. That is also true. Yeah, At Perry was phenomenal. Maybe partially because of the attention that Roberson drew and getting their best matchups and etc. But yardage wise, I'm pretty sure At Perry led the team. So there's definitely that. And then, by the way, our our Atlantic Division we're projecting as much better than the Coastal because. We had our top three ACC teams are from the Atlantic division. And yes, we have not mentioned NC state yet. Spoiler alert. It is not because they are not in our top 25. They are actually inside our top 10. So let's do this 10 through six, number 10, Utah, number nine, Oklahoma, number eight, NC state. I think their defense will be one of the best in the country, especially with Drake Thomas, Peyton Wilson. But not only those two, those are the best guys. But I think the experienced role players that stepped up in the all the linebacker injuries in their absence, probably the best linebacker room in the country, just because of the valuable experience they got and the fact that the linebacker room did not fall off so much with Peyton Wilson's injury. That's incredible. And then number seven, we have Baylor. I mean, Baylor is putting together perhaps the most well-rounded athletic department in the entire country. And then six is Michigan. Yeah, so uh, quite, a, quite a bit to digest here. You know, let's talk a little bit about Utah. I really love them. And, you know, once Cameron Rising, you know, slotted in at quarterback, they just took off. And they – I – firmly believe they beat Ohio State in the uh, Rose Bowl if he doesn't get injured because they were just putting it to him. And now, again, he gets injured. They stumble a little bit, just leaves the door open just enough for Ohio State to to come through and, and pick up the victory. But could Peyton Wilson's injury this year been a blessing in disguise? I don't know. It, it could, because I think you're going to be right about the, their linebacker room. You know, Peyton Wilson comes back, and, and as you, you know, mentioned all, all the other um, great guys, uh, Drake Thomas, et cetera, they're going to be tough. And, you know, they do lose uh, Zonovan Knight and Ricky Pearson, or I guess they're expected to lose them. Um, 
So uh, they might be a little different running back wise, but they're going to have Devin Leary back. And, you know, he's going to have experience. He didn't really get injured this year. So added quite a bit of games under his belt. And I honestly think, you know, we've talked about this before. We've talked about using bowl season to kind of springboard to the next year, both with practices and with the actual bowl. Think about this. NC State's bowl was canceled at literally the last minute. We actually had Wolfpack fans showing up to the stadium and the bowl was canceled. So they actually got all their practice in, right? So they had that portion of It's not like it was canceled early on and the bowl season did them no good. They got all that. And then I think that's going to be a little bit of fuel on the fire. I really do. You know, just kind of left such a bad taste in their mouth if, if those guys inside that Wolfpack locker room can kind of channel that and say, you know what, we were, we were robbed of this this year. We really were. And it was it ended on a sour note. I know head coach Dave Dorn didn't mince any words when he was asked about it. Maybe, maybe it'll be kind of that double springboard. They didn't actually get to play in the bowl game, but they kind of got something maybe even a little bit better, a little bit chip on their shoulder. Mm-hmm. Gonna be, it's going to be fun to watch. And here's one other thing I want to mention. We, we talked about the ACC kind of being down this year, you know, but I really think that was more of a product of they just didn't have that one or two teams that was in that upper echelon like a Clemson normally is and, and getting talked about for the college football playoff. And then Clemson was the beginning of the year and then they fell all the way down. So it kind of gave the illusion that ACC just wasn't was a trash conference but that's not true they end the season with four teams ranked in the top 25 and I think that hasn't happened since 2016 or maybe 2016 was the only time that it happened I can't remember I saw a tweet I have to dig it up but I mean think about that still four teams and basically in the top 20 25 percent is um ACC teams, that's not bad. And we're looking at something similar next year. Yeah. No, for sure. I think definitely the conference – I'm you're – obviously a, a lot of it, college football is about who wins and who goes to the playoffs, who wins the championship. So it's – the way the ACC is going to be judged is they got zero playoff teams. They got zero teams that even came close to making the playoffs – that, that it's going to be judged as a bad conference. But if we did one of those like ACC Big Ten challenges, ACC Big 12 challenges, ACC Pac-12 challenges, where every team played every team, I don't think we'd fare too poorly in those. I think we would do pretty well because that judges the depth of the conference. And I think we are much deeper than a lot of people give us credit for. Yeah, and I think we have some teams like NC State, like Clemson if things click like a wake force that where things could kind of come together. Let's not forget teams kind of off the radar right here. Boston college, Miami, maybe Florida state. Those, those aren't going to be, you know, gimme games next year by any stretch of the imagination. And you could have a situation where a team gets an upset early. Um, I, I haven't looked at the, you know, week one, but I'm sure there's some big matchups and, Boom, they're in the top. Remember, remember how I started the show. I said half the teams ended outside the top 25, meaning half that weren't in the top 25 
let them talk. So maybe that's a Miami. Maybe that's a Boston College. Maybe that's a Florida State. We'll see. But definitely, I, I, I feel much better about the ACC going into next year. All right, let's get to our top five. Let's do uh, number five, Notre Dame. I mean, I've gone on record a lot to say that they were fraudulent this year, but I think I'm both of us had them at five. I, I think I like what they could do and uh, what they bring back. They're losing Kyle Hamilton, obviously, but the program has shown obviously enough um, stability to always be regarded as a top 10 team. They kind of do it year after year. And I think Marcus Freeman is great, their new head coach. So I'm looking forward to them just missing the playoffs once again at number five. (laughs) Number four, Texas A&M. Yeah, they had struggles this year, but they actually went out and beat Alabama, something that only two teams could say they did. They were a quarterback away, and they got themselves a quarterback. So Texas A&M, number four. Number three, our defense. Our um, new national champions, defending national champs, Georgia. Number two, Ohio State. They return C.J. Stroud. They return Jackson Smith and Jigma, probably going to be the best offense in the country preseason next year. And number one, big drum roll, please. The Alabama Crimson Tide. You should have told me to sit down. I was totally shocked. Alabama number one. Hot take of all hot takes. We'll get to the uh, top in, in just a second, but as, as far as we'll, we'll just touch on all of them, they, you know, it's the final five, obviously, but Notre Dame, uh, Marcus Freeman, you know, the, the, the cool introduction, everyone was kind of becoming a Notre Dame fan. And then they had a huge lead against Oklahoma state and ended up collapsing so not quite the the stellar send off or, or start, I guess I should say, you know, for to the Marcus Freeman era. But I think you'll have his guys ready. It'll just be interesting, you know, with them at quarterback, whether it's going to be uh, Tyler Buckner or Drew Pine. But think about this: this is this is the Irish road games next year. Okay, UNC, Syracuse, USC, and Ohio State. Those aren't just. <laughs> Also, Rands. That's kind of a tough schedule, especially for them to be road. So, I could definitely see them falling short. However, you know those are opportunities. If they notch those all as victories, then expect them to be in the CFP playoff talk. Number four, A and M. I really love what A and M's doing. Um, probably much to the chagrin of most of the country. Um, AM is one of those teams where their fan base is really loud and maybe slightly entitled, considering they haven't really won anything. But they beat Alabama last year, albeit at home. They had an enormous recruiting class. They they can kind of feel it. You can kind of feel the the momentum that they're getting, right? I could even see them pushing Alabama this year. Um for the SEC championship. We'll, we'll have to see. I mean, that, a lot remains to be seen. Doing it one time on your home field is one thing, doing it the next season. But, you know, with Georgia toppling Alabama, I just think people are, are they, they're kind of starting to believe, right? They Alabama notched a couple 
losses this year. They should have lost to Auburn. They, you know, people are circling, you know, sharks are circling for, for blood. So we'll see. A&M going to have a, a big year. Georgia's interesting at three because what an emotional victory uh, in the championship game. What does the next season bring? Are we just as hungry? I mean, we've just scaled the mountain. We've never done that. Are we going to be just as fired up? Are we going to put in the rips? Are we going to sit on our laurels? Are we going to take it easy? Are we going to bask in our own glory, pat our own selves on the back? That'll be interesting to see the mindset, the kind of collective mindset. I could see them stumbling in a couple early games, you know. Number two, Ohio State, like you said, going to be absolutely lights out on offense. Can they get kind of short that defense? Because that was very weak this year, as, you know, seen in the Rose Bowl. They just had – you can't go into a season where you have to outscore every single person or every single team, you know, 50 to 49, because there's going to be some games where it just doesn't work. So can you get enough stops? I'm not saying you have to be the 85 Bears, but you got to be able to stop teams when – when you absolutely when your offense just isn't clicking. And then number one, how can you not stay as Alabama, right? They lose the championship game, mostly due to injuries, but just I don't that's taking nothing away from Georgia, but they are really going to be hungry. They're going to be angry. You know, they get our guy Jameer Gibbs in at running back. So they lose, you know, guys, they lose Brian Robinson Jr. They get Jameer Gibbs in and just Plug and play, you know, guys are buying in. They know their probably best um, route to the NFL is to go through Bama. I saw that the Alabama legislature is going to repeal. They ha actually had a cap on the amount of money the college athletes could get through NIL deals. They're repealing that. So watch out. That only – if you have a team that's going to put you in the NFL – and you can get as much money as you could possibly, you know, get or as, as much as you could at any other school. That's a recipe for success if you're a Crimson Tide fan. Yep. Nick Saban, it's crazy. At his age, he still manages to adapt and allow the changing game to make him better, not have the game pass by him. It's just incredible. So, we'll, <laughs> I mean, we'll see. How long does Alabama dynasty lasts? I know you, as I mean, as far as like Nick Saban and his career and when he finally retires, but I saw you put out a tweet, something along the lines of who, what is the most unbreakable record in college football? And <laughs> I expected like, there are some like good, like obscure answers, like, like just crazy amounts of punts in a game or like, maybe rushing records because the game is becoming more of a passing game. Maybe those will never be broken. But then somebody said if, if Alabama and Nick Saban win like two or three more championships before he retires, which is probably going to happen, Nick Saban's championship record could be one of those things that never gets broken. So just. Yeah. As a guy, Chappie, uh, if you don't follow him, definitely follow him. He's a great um, college football resource. He's a, a Big Ten Northwestern guy, but man, he watches every single game. If college football's on, he's watching, taking notes. And I, that was a record, you know, honestly, Dan, that I didn't even think about. 
but he's right. Holy cow, especially if, if Saban adds any more. I just don't know how – I just don't know how really you, you're going to be able to keep a dynasty like that and every year be there and compete for a national title, especially, especially if they add more teams to the playoff, right? There's just more chances to lose. So, you know, it'll be interesting, but that's, that's definitely one that it's, it'll take a Herculean effort to break. I guess that's the note that will send off the college football season on and send us into the off season with, despite Georgia winning the national championship, it's always all about saving the Alabama, right? Yeah. (laughs) Either way, let's get into the second part of our episode. Let's get into basketball. So to get basketball segments started today, let's bring on Sam Willard for your quick, obscure betting tip of the day. What do you have for us, Sam? Thanks, Jason and Dan. I'm Sam Willard here once again for your obscure betting tip of the day. And today's obscure betting tip has something for a little bit of everyone. It has something for me, has something for Jason, and it has something for Dan. So let's start with Dan first. Uh, this game comes out of the A-10. Uh, there's not a ton of games to pick t- from tonight, but I did find this diamond in the rough out of the A-10, and that being uh, VCU traveling to St. Bonaventure. That part's for me. St. Bonaventure is near uh, my place of residence. Don't look that up. Uh, but anyways, uh, tonight's game features those two teams. Both teams are actually coming in pretty hot. Uh, St. Bonaventure right now is 9-3, 1-0 in the A-10. And VCU is 10-4, uh, 3-0 in the A-10. So this is a battle of A-10 supremacy. But the bet I'm going to place tonight on this game is the over. It's at 127.5, uh, according to most sports books I've referenced thus far. To me, that seems like a pretty low over by college basketball standards. Um, it's pretty common for most teams to score in the 60s, 70s, or 80s. I think for these two teams, I think it's right on par, but I do expect these two teams to achieve a 127 or greater. I don't think it's out of the question for either one of these teams to get to 65, 70, 75 points, especially for the winner. So uh, I'm going to place my money on the over at 127 between the VCU Rams and the St. Bonaventure Bonnies. Oh, and Jason, I assume that you like a good over. So that's the part for you. But uh, enjoy this game. It should be actually a good one and a fun one to watch. I think both teams are uh, looking for tournament bids this year, and uh, I think that's really an attainable goal for them. But, yeah, place your money on 127.5 and the over, and uh, enjoy the game. Happy betting. Okay, thank you so much, Sam. Just real quick, I think it was Tuesday night. We started Tuesday with two undefeated teams remaining in college basketball. Those teams were Baylor and USC. Both of those teams ended up dropping their games, and now every single team in college basketball has at least one loss, and that's pretty early for that to be the case. Most seasons it happens like late January, early February for the last team to lose finally their first game. So, I mean, we have a clear top five, top seven, not the order, but like who is in it. But still, like, college basketball is getting a little bit more up for grabs. That's pretty cool to see. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's some of the the same factors that, you know, college football is facing, transfer portal and NIL deals. You know, it's just going to be harder and harder to, you know, maintain, you know, complete dominance because there's not going to be that kind of Alabama team 
in the NCAAs. Not, it's just not the same. Basketball is just a, a different type of game as far as like, okay, well, if you come play here, you're definitely going to play in the NBA. It's just much harder. You see guys in the NBA all the time playing from small schools or from overseas or whatever. It's not like that in the NFL. You know, you can – a huge chunk of guys are from Alabama or Ohio State or, or, or teams like that. So, you're right. Both undefeated uh, teams went down. And, and not necessarily undefeated, but undefeated in the conference – Miami Hurricanes lose their first game as well on the same day. Yes, that was that also happened Tuesday night. So a very eventful Tuesday night. It was Florida State taking down Miami. Now Florida State, they were our, they were my um, preseason pick to win the ACC. Now they've really shown bad signs lately. Especially, I think I've said this before, but just they have like the same style of a Leonard Hamilton team, but they just don't have like the overwhelming athleticism to fit that just free flowing fast paced style that they like to play guys that can create off the dribble and play really good defense. They just don't have that this year, but Florida state does win that game. That was a key win for them because now they sit at three and two and only in the loss column, one game out of the conference lead. So that's pretty much half the teams are either one game out in the lost column or tied. And uh, it's still within striking distance. There's a lot of basketball left to be played. But, you know, if you have four if you have four conference losses at this point, like a Virginia Tech, even if they turn it around, it's going to be hard to catch the top. So critical win for Florida State. And, um, I mean, no critical leading scores in that, but. They got done on the defensive end, which is good to see because sometimes this year they just haven't been able to make some stops. Yeah, I mean, you look at what, one, two, three, four, four teams with only one loss. So, and then there's that next tier with three teams with two losses. So you're right. If you start, you know, slip, you know, slipping up early and and losing some games you should win, then you're going to just find yourself buried and really no shot AC or probably not even any shot at the ACC uh, tournament just because you're going to have to play so many games in a row. And it's just going to, it's just difficult when you're playing back to back to back to back to back games. Yeah. But obviously there's a lot still up for grabs. Um, We also had Tuesday night, Syracuse beating Pitt 77 to 61. I'm not too high on Syracuse. I feel like their defense this year is just not what it's been past years. Kind of like a Florida state. But um, a guy that I'm, I trust a lot who writes for um, our close partners in CBB Review, Ariel Portman, he said that he thinks Syracuse is the team in the ACC that turns it around. So they get to 500 now. He had one – it's a very good article. Is one team from every conference that will turn things around or that has a lot of upside this season. Highly recommend you check out that article. But they had uh, Syracuse in for the ACC, and um, that was a win they needed. Yeah, obviously they can't they can't lose that game, uh, you know, to Pittsburgh, a really poor Pittsburgh team, and they got they handled them, you know, relatively easy. 
eight and eight, two and three in the conference. That's a lot to turn around. I'm not saying it can't be done. We've seen the orange kind of do those type of magic tricks at the end of the year before, but they've really put themselves on a hole. They've, you know, shrunk their margin of error to next to nothing, to be honest. That is though. That's the thing that Ariel prefaced his uh, little segment of his article on. He's like, Syracuse has done this to us plenty of times before. So why not? They, why can't they do it again? So that, that's a fair point you bring up. Let's move on to Wednesday because Wednesday night, I actually went to my first ACC basketball arena of the season. And I saw a nice rivalry game between Virginia and Virginia tech. Good show out from both fan bases, maybe a little bit more Virginia tech fans than what Virginia fans wanted. But I mean, that's to be expected with, I don't think the Virginia students are back. So Virginia Tech had a nice showing. UVA fans were still loud throughout the game. It was a great atmosphere, especially considering it was a 9 o'clock game. And uh, Virginia got it done, 54 to 52. Virginia Tech, I felt like some of the issues were kind of the same old because Keve Aluma was great in the post, kind of unstoppable. And then... They just missed a lot of shots that they need to hit. But it's not like an unlucky shooting night if it's happening all game throughout the entire season. The looks that they're creating, they're just not falling from guys that were previously good shooters. It's almost like regression. It's an interesting case because um, they just did not get the production that they needed outside of Keve Aluma, and their bench did absolutely nothing pretty much. So that's Virginia Tech. But Virginia with a key win to keep you know, stay, keep their head peeping in the door from outside tournament bracketology right now, but still kind of within striking distance. It was the Francisco Cafaro game. Francisco Cafaro, 16 points and nine rebounds. He's a big dude who has struggled a lot at times, especially on the offensive end. But what he did was played when he was had to make defensive stops, he was able to play very physical got a lot of um, offensive rebounds and was able to finish in the post. So those are kind of my observations about the game. Now, Virginia's defense was still, I feel like they're still slow in terms of their rotations to prevent wide open threes or easy looks in the post, but they're still, they, despite not having an identity, the identity of, you know, they're, we're going to shoot the lights out or we're, we're going to play an incredible defense. They're still winning games, and that's important. Yeah, how about this stat? So we think about it, it and it wasn't – shooting-wise, it wasn't one of those all-time Tony Bennett defense-type uh, games, uh, as Virginia Tech did shoot 42%. But regardless, the Cavs hold the Hokies to 52 points. And how about this? Hokies shoot three free throws total. So you're playing good defense and you're not fouling. So you, that that's a, a, a dynamic combination. And Aluma was the only one who shot him. Only personal team to shot free throws. He went three for three. And, you know, you mentioned his 22 points, but it was basically uh, him and, and Couture and Murphy. Well, they put up 42 points, so the entire rest of the team only put up 10 points together. So a good win, and like you said, you, you want to 
stay on that, that top half of that ACC so you're within striking distance. Speaking of um, just lack of continuity production, can we talk about Louisville a little bit? Because uh, I, my guy, I think it was Chuck Nades is his name. He put out a stat that said the reason why Louisville is struggling so much, they probably have the worst best player on their team. So if you took the 15 best players on each ACC team, so 15 players, one on each ACC team, Louisville would be the worst. I don't even know who it would be, but maybe Malik Williams. Well, he had four points in that in this game against NC State in this loss. There, this was the production and points wise of their start of their starting lineup for Louisville. Four points, three points, two points, two points, zero points. That's not good. And they would not have even made this somewhat respectable if it was not for Sidney Curry. His 22 points and 10 rebounds off the bench. It's I mean, I'm I'm not sure. I, I know you think Louisville might turn this around. Or at least you said that last episode. I'm not sure I'm seeing it. I think Chris Mack might be his days might be done after this year at Louisville. And also kind of funny how the only thing that S. Curry cannot do is shoot threes. Kind of ironic, but <laughs> good wit. Yeah. Think about this. Uh, uh, well, coming in, an eight and eight Wolfpack team, one and four in the conference, and you lose to them by sixteen at home. I'll I'll take it a step further. Chris Mack won't be the coach next year. His days are definitely numbered, and it's time for them to move on. I, Louisville fans deserve more. You know, uh, it's it's a great school with great tradition, and it just it's not it's not working. It's, it's kind of similar. We think about, you know, David Cutcliffe this year. It just reached a point where he said, you know what? It's not working anymore. It's time to move on. And I think that's where the cards will go in the offseason. We'll see. At least, in my opinion, they definitely should. It's time to move on from him. You know, Kevin Keats' crew gets a good win, a good road win. But there's, like I said, they're now only nine and eight, two and four in the conference. Got to string together a lot more to kind of get to that upper echelon of the ACC. But you can't string together a lot more without stringing together one. So they got this one done. But but really, it was just a, a terrible performance by Louisville. They seemed ill-prepared yet again, and it, it showed in the, in the box score and the final score. Well, how about teams that I think are kind of taking the opposite trajectory? Teams that I think started down – but I think are really turning it around. I'm looking at the Notre Dame fighting Irish who have now won six straight, con- six consecutive games. They are now what they have one conference loss. I think four and one or three there, the four and one in conference 10 and five overall. And I think I'm starting to see things finally get put together for them, which um, I'm very happy for friend of the pod, Ryan Humphrey, assistant coach and uh, Mike Bray and their squad. 72 to 56 win over Clemson and the shots are starting to fall. We expected that, but Blake Wesley is playing like a lottery pick right now. He had another 20 points in this game. So his most recent games, he has had 20 points, 22 points and 18 points all while playing 32 or more minutes. And uh, I mean, most importantly, I think they're starting to play hard on the defensive end. They're starting to rebound really well. 
and make stops. And that has just been such an issue for Notre Dame in the past. I want to check what their Bart Torvik um, defensive ranking is right now because last year I think it was over 100. This year, okay, it's down. Okay, so Bart Torvik is not as high in Notre Dame as they are, as we, as I might be, but still a vast improvement from last year at uh, 82 now on, on defense. And uh, I think I see a path for them in the tournament. The only thing that I think will hold them back is the ACC just not getting enough bids. But I think they do well in the ACC. Yeah, you were high on Notre Dame in the offseason, and they kind of started out like a clunker. Let's see, they, they lost uh, four of five and five of seven. It looked like it was going to be really just another one of those seasons and, and maybe Mike Bray's last season, you know, maybe this was the kind of the final stop, but since then they've turned it around. They've won six in a row. They did get a game with Duke postponed. So I don't know if we would have said seven in a row, but regardless, you know, uh, pick up a, a good win against Clemson. We're not going to mistake Clemson, you know, for the 98 Kentucky Wildcats, but this is definitely a game that last year the Irish could have dropped. You know, they maybe could have come out flat, not hit as many shots. And, you know, you've already uh, mentioned guys like Goodwin dropping 21 points for the Irish. But a good win for them. And I'm, I'm with you. I, I kind of feel that momentum turning for the Irish. And I feel like they are on that upward trajectory. And then um, our other two games we had – I don't know how much you want to talk about this one, but Georgia Tech beat Boston College 81 to 76. Georgia Tech, um, our guy, so our guy, um, he, I think he runs Sidelines Miami or whatever account. He, uh, yeah, Sidelines Miami, that's his account. But he's very active in our um, Discord. And he said, he quote tweeted my tweet about Miami. He put a nice little John Rostinism. He said, Miami basketball, more guards than Shawshank Redemption. Nice. But that's kind of that's kind of Georgia Tech, too. I mean, like, they just don't have bigs, or at least bigs that produce. It's just that Miami's guards are much more productive than um, Georgia Tech's guards are. But, yeah, um, Maxwell with 22 points off the bench, that's a positive. Otherwise, just two bottom feeders and one team beating another is how I look at this game. Yeah, and we had, you know, Boston College had kind of gotten off to a little bit of a, a nice start. They won their first three games. It's okay, you know, see. Then they lost their next three, and then they won their next three, and then they've lost their next five. So um, kind of coming back to earth. But but we admitted before the season, you know, when we talked to our guy, Brevin Galloway, we admitted they're going to play hard. They're going to play that kind of gritty, not pretty style. But you're asking, you know, a miracle to for them to turn around in one season, and that's not going to happen. So this was kind of an expected result, you know, like you said, two bottom feeders kind of duking it out and, and one of them has to come out on top. And that happened to be Georgia tech. And then um, this was the opposite of two bottom feeders. These were two guys at the top. This was Duke and wake forest. The final game that we haven't talked about Duke was very close with them in the first half. And then with like a minute left, I think the score was 29 to 29. A minute left, Duke just completely pulled away. 
And they won a huge run that continued well into the second half. I think they were up by like 20 the next time I saw the score. Wake Forest made it a little bit more respectable by the end, but the game was out of striking distance by that point. It was just a crazy way the game happened. And I think I put out a tweet in the first half like, hey, look at this conference. It's not just Duke and everybody else. It's just a pile of everybody. <laughs> and I think um, John Shire reads ACC content tweets during halftime as bulletin board material. That's what I said because those guys were fired up and got a nice victory to keep them, I guess, tied for the top of the conference. I guess they would be losing this tiebreaker because of the head-to-head loss. But Duke's still there with just one conference loss. Yeah, a great game uh, by Pat Bancaro and Griffin, you know, 24 and 22, respectively. Duke, I think you're right. I think they used uh, slander from pipeline, uh, you know, to fuel the, this, that can be the only logical explanation. It can't be anything else. Wake, we thought that they might play them tough. We thought they might play them tough, and they did for a while. And then the talent kind of won out. You know, obviously, uh, Alondis Williams put in a great game, 25 points. But really, the Deeks were done in by just terrible three-point shooting. Two for 16 from deep. Can't do that against a, a top 10 team like Duke. You, you're going to need to knock down more than just two three-pointers. And the fact that they couldn't, they, they tried to stay in it, you know, at the line hit 14 of 20. But just not enough threes dropped to uh, kind of – overcome the the deficit that they dug themselves and that's exactly what steve forbes did say in the post-game press conference he said that no matter what team we're playing if you only hit two threes out of 13 attempts you are not going to win and that's exactly what showed on the scoreboard now wake has a big bounce back opportunity next saturday or this coming saturday against virginia on the road that's going to be a huge one They obviously, like most of the ACC, have not had recent historic success against UVA. So we'll see if they could use this season where UVA is down to kind of turn that around a little bit. And we'll get to that on our next episode. But I think that'll do it for today. Hope you guys enjoyed. Join our Discord, of course. Link is in the episode description. And leave us a five-star review if you like this podcast so other people could more easily find it. But until then, once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Pipeline ACC podcast.